4: Turning
0: now to the growing crisis at the border, more than 13,000 unaccompanied minors are in U.S. custody and the Biden administration is searching for places to house them amid new reports of dire conditions. The Homeland Security Secretary is standing by to talk to George live, but first, let's go to our Chief White House Correspondent, Cecilia Vega, at the border in Mission, Texas. Good morning, Cecilia.
2: Michael, good morning to you. The Border Patrol just telling our team just a few minutes ago that within the last couple hours, they got 10 people trying to run across the border right here behind me. One Border Patrol agent telling me that it is total mayhem when the sun goes down out here. And the people I'm talking to on the ground say they expect to see even more migrants trying to cross in the coming weeks, trying to beat this summer heat. They want to come during the spring. Look, the Biden administration is not calling this a crisis. It is certainly a political crisis right now. you had Republicans on the ground on the border yesterday trying to shine light on this the Democrats that I'm talking to privately are growing increasingly frustrated. you got the Biden administration bri- bringing in FEMA to try to help with this emergency situation. You mentioned that Dallas facility they're opening there. That's going to house 3,000 teenage boys. They've got another one. Look at these images here we have coming in from Midland, Texas. That's uh, You can see these young boys being processed there as well. George, they, the administration, you know, says the message is do not come now. i got to tell you from what we are seeing on the ground, out here on the border, that message is not getting through.
1: The story about that story is that that's ABC News reporting. That was very uncharacteristic, and they're beginning to call the Biden administration out for what is what they have allowed and encouraged uh, by rolling back all these wonderful, just enforcing the laws, the laws that were in place, building a wall. They're uh, stopping all of that. They're stopping the building of the wall. There are holes in the wall now, and some immigrants are just call, crawling through. And of course, they're sending children in droves because that's, that's perfect, isn't it? It's kind of like the Islamists when they used to hold up their wives, you know, uh, so that they wouldn't shoot them. That was a technique. They would use people as human shields, and that's what they're kind of doing, the, the cartels and the, the the people here who are complicit with this. Send the children because, you know, that genders a lot of sympathy, and everyone cares about children. Uh, But it may backfire on the Biden administration. And according to that report, she said, the reporter, that some Democrats are actually upset. Well, we'll, I'll see that. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, They're actually getting ready to try to pass some um, immigration legislation this week uh, in the Senate. And it's all bad stuff. In fact, we're going to talk more about this tomorrow. Uh, Meanwhile, several Republican congressmen were down at the border yesterday. One of them was Republican Representative John Katko. He's the ranking member of the House Homeland Security Committee, and he's reporting that they've had people crossing from Iran, Yemen, and Sri Lanka, and as many of them have been on the terror watch list, and they're coming through. They're coming through because, you know, who cares? Obviously, the Biden administration doesn't because it furthers the destruction of the country. That's what this is all about. If you wonder how can they do that, always remember this is about destroying. This is not a difference of opinion on higher or lower taxes, this is about the destruction, the deconstruction of this country. It's about a, a, a new America. It's about um, destroying the Constitution, getting rid of the old story, a new narrative, a new way, get rid of our history. It's uh, it's about having people rule us, the ones that are ruling us now. And As a matter of fact, I have to talk about something that's process because this is so important. You know that the Democrats... Uh, In the Senate and, of course, in the House, the House has already passed most of these. Uh, They want to pass the Equality Act, uh, which you know what it will do. It will you know, codify the ability of men to use women's restrooms, dressing rooms uh, for men to run and participate in women's sports. Uh, Besides that, it will cause uh, there will be no religious exemption. And on and on, I could go. Uh, That's just one thing. Then we have the voter bill which will make sure that we never have another honest election. I don't know how much more simply to put that without going in greater detail. Sixteen-year-olds would be allowed to vote. Uh, we also have this big infrastructure bill, which they're preening over. You wonder why Nancy Pelosi's like, smiling, like her eyes, eyes are sparkling now. They're, they are—this is a boondoggle for Democrats and their friends. They just passed that 1.9, you know— emergency rescue plan for the United States uh, that's, you know, giving money, so much money to teachers' unions that they're talking about, you know, how they're giving bonuses to all the teachers and spending it on vacations, going to Hawaii. Yeah, they really are. I talked about that yesterday. That's out of the 9% that was supposed to go to help for COVID relief. A lot of that went to schools because they've suffered so much, you see. Uh, So uh, the teachers and teachers' unions, I'm not saying every teacher, not your child's teacher necessarily, but the teachers' unions and some of the administrators are talking about that. Uh, We'll just spend the money in that way. So the Democrats are salivating for a reason. And so now they're talking about this big uh, infrastructure bill. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Chairman Yarmouth of the House Budget Committee is talking about this bill, they're talking about, a, it's a grab bag bill, he called it, for infrastructure, climate change, and immigration. And, of course, you can take it to the bank that none of that will really do what they're saying. Nothing that's helpful to the United States, that for, that's for sure. And whenever they pass these huge bills, and for the infrastructure alone, they're talking about $2 trillion, another $2 trillion. And if they change this filibuster rule, which means that they can't vote on something unless they have 60 votes. They have to vote to stop the discussion and say, are you guys ready to vote? That's what the filibuster's about. And then 60 senators have to say, yes, let's take a vote. They don't have 60. They only have 50. And it's Kamala Harris who has to break the tie on all these legislations. So they want to do away with the filibuster. And now Joe Biden, who was a part of the Senate for most of his life, Uh, entered when he was just a very young man. He's been on the public dole forever and a day, Uh, was all about the filibuster. Great champion of the filibuster, but now he's changing his mind. But he's not the only one. I have three examples of uh, stalwart senators who you will recognize who once opposed, you know, doing away with the filibuster, but now are all about it. First, here's Dick Durbin.
2: What about that nuclear option, doing
5: away with the filibuster? Well, I can tell you that would be the end of the Senate, as it was originally uh, devised and created going back to our founding fathers. Today's filibuster is often used to prevent the Senate from even starting to debate important ideas. It's not the guarantor of democracy. It has become the death grip of democracy.
1: All right, so those are two. They're juxtaposed together. First, you know, oh, it would be the, the death of the Senate, but now, you know... Now he's kind of beginning to think favorably of it, as is Chuck Schumer. Let's listen to this one.
0: I said, let's not do the Supreme Court. We should have 60 votes, which we still do, because we should get bipartisan support. We hope our Republican colleagues will work with us to produce that change. We will try to get them to work with us. But if not, we will put our heads together and figure out how to go, and everything is on the table.
1: And then, of course, last but not least, is Amy Klobuchar, the moderate from Minnesota. Let's see what she said first and then said later. Clip five.
3: The point is, we still left the 60 votes in place right. for the Supreme Did you Court. you bring it back? And not- Mitch McConnell changed that. I would prefer to bring it back. We are where we are. Okay. And now I don't think anyone's going to want to the hamstring themselves. I favor getting rid of the filibuster. I think we have too much we have to do for this
2: country.
1: All right. So there you hear the flip flops, because now they are on the brink of taking power in every single way. This this is so dangerous. I, I, the, friends, this is so dangerous. The only people standing in the way of making this change are Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Cinema from Arizona. And Joe is already hedging his bets. He's sort of, oh, maybe. Well, he'd said adamantly. In fact, he cursed on television. I think I played that clip for you. Uh, about I, what what part of that don't you understand? I've said no, I meant no. We won't do away with the filibuster, but now he's you know having a different thought about it. Now, Kristen Cinema could stop it, but um, so if you're from those states, it would be worthwhile for you to call Joe Manchin. Even if you're not from those states, you can call them, and because it affects the whole country. And Amy uh, and uh, Kristen Cinema in Arizona, but honestly, uh, Mitch McConnell is saying, let me say this very clearly for all ninety-nine of my colleagues. Nobody serving in this chamber can even begin, can even begin to imagine what a completely scorched earth Senate would look like. And he said uh, if there's a partisan gridlock of the Trump and Obama eras, he said the Trump and Obama eras would look like child's play compared to what's to come. Here's the thing. Uh, This I believe about Mitch McConnell because if there's anything he loves, it's his power in the Senate. And he will fight them. I really do think he will. uh, But that doesn't mean he'll be successful. I think they're going to roll him over, and I, I just don't. Uh, if Kristen Cinema holds out, maybe there's a chance. But what are the chances of Kristen Cinema holding out? What are the chances that the, the all of that power amassed against her will, will cause her not to not to cave? She's a strange girl, you know. She's the one that's bisexual, I think, and she's an odd girl. But she's very independent in her thinking. But uh, I don't think of people like that as having a lot of um, stamina. Maybe she does. But that's that's the lay of the land today on that filibuster. President Biden uh, continues to tell Americans to keep wearing the mask. In fact, he said in his speech the other night, I played parts of it, but he said, I urge all local docs and ministers and priests to talk about why, why it's important to get the vaccine. And even after that, until everyone is, in fact, vaccinated to wear the mask. All right, so that's Joe Biden. This morning, I in my inbox, Italy opens manslaughter probe as teacher dies hours after getting AstraZeneca vaccine. The AstraZeneca was developed at Oxford. It's the one used in the UK. It's the one used in Europe for the most part. And so Italy is opening this manslaughter probe because this music teacher, uh, 57 years old, he died just hours after receiving the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. He had a high fever, and the next day he died. That's all we know about that. Batches of the vaccine were seized in Piedmont on March 15th as a precaution. Uh, Of course, British drug regulators and AstraZeneca have said there's no link between the Oxford University-developed vaccine and a higher instance of blood clots. Around 17 million people in the EU and UK have now received our vaccine, and the number of cases of blood clots reported in this group is lower than the hundreds of cases that would be expected among the general population." Uh, for whatever reason, though, Italy, Germany, France, Spain, and a number of other European nations have suspended usage of the AstraZeneca shot in the wake of unusual or adverse reactions reported among recipients. And now Sweden has joined them as well. Uh, so I, um, I again, I have to say this every time. It's important. I'm not saying to you, don't get the shot. I'm not saying that. Uh, I do think you have to weigh the number of people that are getting it compared to the number of people that are being harmed But my challenge to you is to think about the chances of you dying from COVID versus the chances of you having some adverse reaction from the vaccine. I don't know what those numbers are, but I can tell you right now the chances of you dying from COVID are very slim. Uh, The death rates are way down, plummeting. Uh, The cases, you know, cases have never meant much uh, because we have uh, the testing often will give false positives and also the way they're reported as we've said many times before, are not trustworthy. I want to read, um, but you have to make that decision. You have to make that decision. This is from Chip Roy. Chip is a, the new congressman that we've talked to several times, and he's written an article in National View Review. I want to read a little bit of it to you. After one year of coronavirus, it's time to restore our freedom. Chip uh, says, coronavirus lockdowns were only supposed to last for a couple of weeks supposedly to make sure we could build up our hospital capacity. Those of us who were skeptical about claims like this were derided as either anti-science, callous about human life, or conspiracy theorists. Yet today is the 365th day since the beginning of the two weeks to slow the spread campaign, and our economy remains hamstrung, and kids are still locked out of their classrooms. He talks about how the cases have plummeted. There have been no increasing trends since the beginning of January. Fatality rates are declining. He says, um, one year later and one year wiser, Americans have had enough. No more extensions of the two two weeks to slow the spread. It's time for the American people to demand the return of their lives, their livelihoods, and their liberties, and start saying no to those who wish to maintain control. And that begins by turning away from fear, planting our feet, and giving a firm and unflinching no. Uh, We'll put that article on our Facebook page because I just gave you a little touch of it. But uh, Chip is right. It's time to say no and to stop the totalitarians from ruling over our country and on, on our lives. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
0: Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with
5: Jerry and Becky Drace. When your child asks, Do we have to swallow the Holy Spirit to get him inside? John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 addresses that question.
2: I will pray the Father, Jesus said, and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you and will be in you.
5: You know, some Bible concepts are truly hard to understand, especially if you're a child. The Holy Spirit is a gift everyone receives when they confess Jesus as Savior. If your child or your children have done this, they now have the very Spirit of God living in them.
1: He is their friend teacher and comforter. He will never leave them or abandon them. This is a
3: very important truth, both for you and your child.
0: Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home.
4: Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next.
2: Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595.
4: The Freedom From Religion Foundation is outraged because the FBI has a Christian chaplain who offers prayers at FBI events. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is a radical gang of atheists, agnostics, and freethinkers. They wrote a threatening letter demanding a complete list from the FBI of anything remotely related to the Christian faith. The perpetually offended atheists were especially upset because a chaplain offered a prayer during graduation ceremonies at the FBI Academy. For the record, there is nothing illegal or unconstitutional about a government agency engaging in freedom of religion. Now, the atheist also took issue because the chapel is stocked with Bibles and other religious materials. Imagine that, a religious room filled with religious material. Then again, nothing triggers an atheist faster than the word of God. And you don't have to be an FBI agent to figure out that mystery. Be sure to read more about this story at toddsterns.com.
0: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook. Or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We're
4: simply representing your voices the Voices of Freedom. This is about much more than a virus. This is about controlling you. That's what this is about. And we say no, we will not be controlled any longer. We will tell them Our movement will continue to make sure our legislature hears your voice. The only thing that is being spread here today is freedom. Your freedom. freedom, freedom all right, that's
0: freedom. the voice
1: of um, That's the voice of Ron Armstrong with Stand Up Michigan. And, you know, of all the states that have been suffering from the COVID shutdowns, Michigan has, as much as California from my perspective, has really, really suffered. They've had a governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, it's still a present tense, it's not past tense, uh, who has been um, an autocratic ruler uh, with a smile on her face all the while. It's been amazing to watch. The one thing that I have seen uh, is that in past elections, when we try to sort of shake up, there's so many Christians in Michigan, so many good people um, who are serious about their faith but have been really unplugged. Uh, I think there's been a wake-up call for those people and uh stand up michigan i'm not it's not a christian organization i'm just saying i, I know a lot of people that are are involved in this uh, they're waking up and they're saying to themselves if we are not engaged uh, in public policy then this is what happens gretchen whitmer is a product of being disengaged and so stand up mission ha- michigan has risen up and i've asked this morning tammy clark to join us K- tammy is the executive director of stand up michigan uh she by the way is um uh, well, she's a lot of things, and I'm going to introduce her more properly in a second. But let me just talk about stand up for a second. Tammy, thank you for joining us.
3: Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Tammy, what
1: is the goal? What are you guys trying to do? Obviously, the general we got certainly got what Mark uh, Ron just said on that is stand up and to, to you know sh- break free of this sort of uh, autocratic rule. But but practical things that Stand Up Michigan is trying to do. What are they?
3: Yeah, so the goal of Stand Up Michigan, we were really born out of good old-fashioned American civil uh, disobedience to being told we were not allowed to operate our businesses, visit our families, things like that. And this is where Stand Up Michigan uh, was born. So our goal was, number one, just to provide a place uh, via a Facebook page where people could come and care for each other because we were not allowed, we were being denied medical care. We were not allowed to visit with families. We were not allowed to leave our homes. Uh, We were not allowed to do basically anything, even get in a boat and go out on a lake. So our Facebook page grew to 400,000, nearly 400,000 in just a couple of weeks. And we realized that we are a place and a source of hope and connection for people at a time where they're being so isolated and all of a sudden, we were seeing suicides. We were, all of us, the leaders at Stand Up Michigan, were on the calls with people at 1 o'clock in the morning that were suicidal, people uh-huh. that were uh, suffering from serious medical conditions because they could not go to their doctors. And so we just became a place for people to care about each other, to um, request prayer. And it was amazing to watch. Somebody would you know, request uh, prayer for whatever reason, whatever issue they had, and 500 people would respond. It was just really remarkable. Uh-huh. And so... The goal was initially just to provide a place for people to come together, pray together, care for each other. And very quickly then, we realized we need to start informing and educating people on what's going on. If we are going to stop this, it is going to take the people rising up together. So then we began uh, informing people and educating people on what's happening within the legislature, what's happening at the state level, at the national level. And then from there, we began activating people. So our three pillars are really to care, inform, and activate. Oh,
1: that's great. Okay, that's great. Well, all right. Now, I know that one of the things that you guys uh, were wanting to do, and I don't know what the status of this is, was to recall uh, Gretchen Whitmer. What happened with that?
3: Well, we were involved in the Repeal 45 petition initiative. Uh, we were not directly involved with the recall petition. Uh, that was a different group. Um, of course, we supported, we, um, there were three different petitions going on in the state of Michigan at one time. And, uh, one was to rewrite the Constitution, one, the Michigan State Constitution, one was to recall the governor, and one was to repeal the 1945 law that the governor was relying on to override the legislature and just rule the state, uh, unilaterally as a dictator. Okay. So, Stand Up Michigan got involved with the repeal 45 law. Um, but the recall petition, they needed over a half a million signatures in a very short time. And it was just, uh, an uphill battle to get that many signatures. So it has fallen short every time. Um, we actually, you know, we, we supported any effort that the citizens were doing, uh, to try to stop this governor. Um, but the problem is if, if she was recalled, we would have, uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, Gavin, and the problem with him is he is a self-proclaimed socialist, so we're not going to be any better off. So we felt it was better to put our efforts into something to stop her um, through policy and legislation.
1: Let me just talk, Tammy, about your own personal uh, qualifications. You're an OSHA-credentialed occupational safety and health professional. You're a PPE, PPE expert and respiratory protection expert. Were you that before COVID broke out? I mean, were you already a PPE expert? Yes. All right, so how did, go
3: ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's interesting because um, when I took the position as executive director with Stand Up Michigan, I don't even think the board at Stand Up Michigan knew who I was. Um, I have been operating a a safety, health, and compliance consulting firm uh, for 15 years, and I have been in the field of environmental and occupational health and safety um, pretty much my whole adult career. So um, when the mask, conversation started, you know, my business was shut down. Our governor declared that construction and real estate and other essential services are non-essential. Even though the federal government under the SISA memo declared them to be essential, our governor said basically nothing is essential, everything is shut down. And so I got involved with Stand Up Michigan out of anger and not being able to feed my family, operate my business. But my business, my career field was in the world of respiratory pathogen protection in the workplace. So when uh, mid-summer, the whole whole face mask conversation started, that's when I stood up and started making some videos, and the board at Stand Up Michigan really realized who I was. So it's been a very interesting, um, I think, a divinely inspired role because I've been able to stand up and I've been able to blow the whistle, whistle on OSHA. I'm involved in court cases right now against OSHA, fighting for doctors who've had their medical licenses revoked for doing the right thing and protecting their patients, following the OSHA protection standards. And because they didn't fall in line, they didn't toe the line um, when we're all being told everybody needs to wear a mask, which actually violates OSHA standards. these, These states are getting aggressive and coming after people, threatening to put them in jail, revoking medical licenses. So at the same time, I'm running, uh, you know, this leading this organization. I'm also fighting on behalf of the American people um, and fighting these regulatory agencies that are really being weaponized against us.
1: Oh, they really are. And it's not just the states. Of course, it's the federal, as you well know. I've got... Um, Correct. I haven't hit w- I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but I do want to mention it because I have not mentioned it at this mic. Uh, speaking of uh, doctors paying the price, Simone Gold, who's the frontline doctors convener, Uh, that people know her name. She was arrested for being at the Capitol during the so-called insurrection, uh, and uh, arrested and put in jail, and uh, she's out now. I don't exactly know the status of her case, but I just want to illustrate to people how serious this is. I also, your whole story about being a business owner reminded me of another thing I read this morning that you should know about, Tammy. It's a It's, uh, let's see, PJ Media wrote this, and it's a study out of the University of Chicago about who was arrested on January the 6th, and uh, what they found, surprisingly enough, was that only maybe 10% were affiliated with uh, Proud Boys or Oath Keepers, like 10%, and the rest of them, 85%, were business owners or held down white-collar jobs, and they were shocked. They did not realize that there were such capable people. They thought they were all, you know, these fringe QAnon folk. And so my point is I do think business owners uh, like you uh, that have the courage to start. Look, it takes courage to start a business and to run a business. It takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of spine. And uh, I'm sure you're a formidable force for Governor Whitmer. As, um, <laughs> as, as things stand, what? You're laughing <laughs> Oh yes, she knows who I am. <laughs> I, I I have it on good authority that she does, and um, that things have gotten a little bit difficult for you. So uh, yes, but but God bless you, Tammy, for for standing. And maybe at some point we can tell the full story of that. All right. So what is the state yeah. of Michigan now? What's the state of? I mean, in terms, you know, in terms of shutdowns and all those regulations.
3: Well, so our governor right now is in contempt of court with the Supreme Court. Um, they, the Supreme Court ruled back in October that the 1945 law that she was relying on when the legislature would not extend her state of emergency, they did initially, and after that first 28 days, they basically told her, you need to show us the proof, show us the evidence that we are truly in uh, you know, a pandemic under an emergency, and she could not do it, so she uh, relied on this old law to override them. The state Supreme Court ruled that that law was unconstitutional in its entirety. So she, they basically told her to knock it off and to go back and work with the legislature. So she thumbed her nose at the state Supreme Court's ruling. She just pivoted, and she turned to the health department and Michigan OSHA, and she started doing the exact same thing, declaring states of emergency, emergency, weaponizing these two agencies against business owners, um, uh, causing extreme duress on business owners to become her mass police and force all these rules on the employees basically. And so we are still under lockdowns. Our restaurants oh, are only gosh. at 50% capacity and for a restaurant, I'm sure many restaurant owners out there listening know what I'm talking about at 25% capacity, which we have been, we've been completely closed or we've been at 25% capacity. These restaurants, these businesses are operating at a loss. If fifty percent, they're just breaking even, and that's where we're still at. Even then, she's got a curfew on us. You know, the uh, we can only stay open until eleven p.m. Apparently, the virus knows when it's eleven p.m. and it will come out. So at eleven p.m., we all have to go home. I mean, it's just insane.
1: It's and it's so on your mental health. I can't even imagine the anger and the frustration. And the also the exasperation at feeling that you can't, there's nothing you can do. Uh, you're probably talking to a lot of people in Michigan, Tammy, who aren't familiar really with what Stand Up Michigan is doing. I mean, are you, so what would benefit them? If they could join you, what would be the benefit to them?
3: Yeah, so we are encouraging people. Um, we're quite a force now at this point. Um, but we are encouraging people to go to StandUpMichigan.com and check us out and see what we're doing. We, um, if you sign up for our emails, you will always be in the know. We, at this point, are starting county chapters. Uh, we are very organized, we're very strategic, and we're very collaborative with the other grassroots groups, and we've formed a statewide um, group where we're all working together in unity to um, really affect greater change quicker, raising up those from the grassroots level, getting them in positions um, of leadership within city councils, school board, township officials, because we know politics happens at the local levels, and that's where we've lost it. We've been lazy. I mean, we have to own that. We've been lazy. We've fallen asleep at the wheel. And this is where these Democrats' liberal progressive um, ideologies have taken hold because they've all gotten into these local positions. And from there, it it takes over the state. So if you could go to StandUpMichigan.com and sign up to participate in a county chapter, we are starting county chapters all over the state. And we're really collaborating with the leaders of all these county chapters to um, educate, inform, and empower the people to start making change at their local community level.
1: Yeah, you know, Tammy, uh, uh, people that listen to me have heard me say time and time again, and it's time to repeat it, uh, I was so impressed with Goochland uh, Goochland, this is a northern suburb of uh, Virginia, and I went down to speak for them, their tea party a number of years ago, and they had done exactly what you're talking about. Uh, Virginia had gone through was already it's going through more turmoil oil now, just like Michigan. Uh, but they had taken back their county. they were strategic man they had taken back the, the school board, the county offices, they had turned their county, which had been devastated by leftist policies. They turned it into a crown jewel. And so I always say, it, it is honestly just take back where you are. Uh, go into your schools. Get get involved with your teachers. Get involved in the school board. And that is exactly what you're describing. And that is where uh, the difference can be made at this point. The federal, I think, Washington, as you may be, well, you may, others oh, have heard me say, I wish D.C. could just descend into the ocean. I'm not wishing death on anyone, but I am wishing yeah. that the, the seat of all this wickedness could just disappear from the face of the earth. Uh, and l- people, the states, could rise up and, and rule and run their own lives and run their own lives. So well, I was and, thinking, go ahead.
3: Yeah. No, I was going to say, yeah, and we can. I, at this point, I'm not paying any attention to Washington. Washington is a lost cause. What we need to do is we need to take over our communities, and we can do that. And that's where these county chapters are going to be very, very powerful. And then we need to raise up these states, make these states strongholds, because we do have states' rights. So at this point, that's where our focus needs to be, and that's where our energy needs to be, and we need to just stop paying attention to Washington for the moment and focus on our own backyard.
1: Yes, and Tammy, could I say there are other stand-up movements in other states that are starting? I think Wisconsin is, I don't know if they've established yet, but they're starting, and so maybe they could find that out from StandUpMichigan.org. So if you're listening from another state, uh, this is something you could also do. Maybe some of you have said, you know, I... I'd like to do that. Uh, So this is the way to get started. I say every day on the show, you know, say something, do something. This is a chance to say something and do something. StandUpMichigan.org. Tammy, it's so nice to meet you. Tammy Uh, Tammy Clark, it's so nice to meet you. And we will follow up with your story at some point, okay? God bless you and stay safe. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
0: The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you for standing with us, and we thank you for your support.
3: The Lord hates a lying tongue. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A group that calls itself the Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden Coalition released an open letter in which they had the audacity to plead shock and betrayal at what Joseph Robinette Biden had long promised to do, and that is use the power of his office to advance the pro-death cause under the guise of health care for women. They cannot honestly say they weren't warned, Everyone in America knew where Biden stood on in utero baby murder because he told them. He said it in 13 debates, multiple campaign ads, and a Planned Parenthood town hall. They can claim shock, but that doesn't make it so.
0: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner, or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Conservatism, based ultimately on the Word of God, makes no distinction based on race. But regressives, who get their worldview from someplace else, are bringing actual racial segregation back with a vengeance. Ivy League University Columbia is holding six separate graduation ceremonies based on various multicultural identities. There will be one ceremony for Native Americans, another for LGBTQs, another for Asians, another for low-income students, another for Hispanics, and still another for blacks. So much for the American motto, out of many, one. Regressives are undoing the life's work of Martin Luther King as fast as they can and promoting racial division rather than reconciliation. It's time to reverse direction and once again become one nation indivisible under God. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio.
5: This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Moves to limit or abandon a mechanism for ensuring the U.S. Senate's minority party can shape legislation have long been known as the nuclear option. That's because the legislative filibuster keeps Congress's upper chamber from operating like the House of Representatives, where a simple majority governs, and its demise would figuratively blow up the Senate as we have known it. Yesterday, amid signs that the Senate's slimmest possible majority is poised to end or create exceptions to the legislative filibuster, Republican Leader Mitch McConnell unveiled what might be called a nuclear deterrent the threat to use procedural measures to slow the chamber's business to a crawl. He calls it a scorched-earth Senate. Immediately at issue is S-1, legislation that would preclude free and fair elections in this country. Let us pray that Senator McConnell succeeds in deterring its party-line enactment. This is Frank Gaffney.
0: Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Since
6: 1920, we have aborted one billion
5: children across the world in one hundred years. I thought, I have to fight that. That will destroy our country.
3: He got a name for himself in the movement and began to be
1: in great demand speaking around the world.
0: Frankly,
6: what he did was a textbook case on how to organize a protest movement.
5: I was sued by the National Organization for Women on a charge of racketeering. When
6: the Nalvi Scheider case came along, I filed my appearance, and before long, I was the lead counsel for the defense. They were
1: convinced that they had found the silver bullet to getting rid of the pro-life movement. It was really important to us that we come out victorious and be able to assure people, yes, you can still come out and do protests. You can still go out to the abortion clinics and sidewalk council.
2: The navi Scheidler case is important because without their perseverance, so many organizations that hold vigil outside of abortion facilities wouldn't exist. And that impacts generations.
6: Did I ever think that involvement with this case would last 28 years and go before the U.S. Supreme Court not only once, not only twice, but three times? Inconceivable.
1: All right, that's a trailer from a brand new movie called Fighting for Life, the Story of Now versus Scheidler. If that sounds a little familiar to you, it might be because uh, when Joe Scheidler passed away in January, I talked a great deal about that because Joe was a very dear friend of mine. Uh, He was the Green Beret of the pro-life movement, and now there is a movie about his life, but not just his life. It's about this case, 28 years, three visits to the United States Supreme Court, and a multi-billion-dollar abortion industry leveraging all of its power to stop one man from proclaiming that life, all life, matters. It's a fighting for life, the story of now versus Scheidler, and it's going to premiere uh, this uh, March 22nd, which is coming right up here at, uh, on EWTN. So March 22nd on EWTN, fighting for life, the story of now versus Scheidler. But, of course, Joe had a partner who's no stranger to this audience because Tom Brecca is also a friend of mine. Tom was um, the attorney, and out of, uh, of course, this the Thomas More Law Society was founded because Tom spent you know ended up dedicating his life. Uh, to the to the, uh, the defense of life, and now they've become a powerhouse for defending conservative causes. And Tom joins me this morning. Again, good morning, Tom.
6: Hey, good morning, Sandy.
1: Yeah, it's early for you back there in Chicago, so I appreciate you joining me. All right, so <laughs> this is... Did you know when we talked in January that you guys were going to do a movie? Had you been planning this before Joe passed?
6: Well, I, um, you know, frankly... Uh, you know, they produced it. The cameras came, and I, I didn't know what their schedule was. And it's just kind of you know um, a great thing that we we've, we've got Joe on video, and and those were his last days, and uh, we lost him. You know, as you and your audience talked about before, in in January it was. I think the filming or the videoing was maybe November. October, you know. Oh, how interesting! God, this past year has been so strange. Yeah, I yes, it on has. what's going on. Yeah. You know,
1: uh, so in the let's talk about the, the movie itself because it's hosted by Abby Johnson and she is the former Planned Parenthood manager who was uh, who turned pro life advocate. I've just heard a little bit of it. Uh, she sounds like you've seen the movie, right? You've seen it, right, Tom?
6: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yes, Andy. I guess I, it's only a half hour. It's kind of like a newsreel, really. It's not. Uh, Detailed? Can you imagine, you know, if they told the full story, uh, how do you capsulize 28 years into uh, even a couple of hours? Uh, so we, we hit some highlights, and, you know, there's Joe depicted, and he was failing, and I guess he was, what, 93? Right when he died, and oh boy, uh, yeah. uh, thank God we've got it for posterity, you know.
1: Yes. Yep. Uh, well, I can still, honestly, I told you this last time we talked. I, I actually, you know how you have some moments in life where you can actually uh, go back and feel what it was like? I still remember sitting on the floor in a press room uh, outside of the, probably in a build, in the same building as the uh, Illinois State, uh, uh, what's it called? The courthouse, the, the federal courthouse building. Yeah. Uh, with, with Patricia Ireland sitting at a table with all of these mics, you know, my mic was there, too, next to her. Mm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. just hearing her sneer about how they were going to take Joe Scheidler's, they're going to take his home, going to take his car, you know, and they nearly got all of it, didn't they?
6: Oh, dear. Well, he had to put his house up, you know, for mortgaging purposes so we could afford to uh, appeal the jury verdict that went against us after that long trial. And, uh, you know, he literally, uh, you know, put up his... uh, how did the founding it? when they were signing the declaration, he pledged uh, himself, his home, his property, his <laughs> sacred honor, uh, all for the cause. And boy, it didn't look good for a long time. About
1: 28 it, it, years? It, it,
6: it, <laughs> yes. We, it, you know, we. Uh, our first judge, federal judge, was, a, well, not the first one, It started in Delaware. We got it finally switched to Chicago, uh, closer to home at least. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, we won early rounds, but early was five years into it. <laughs> and then affirmed on appeal, then, you know, part of the case uh, stayed one at that point. It was an antitrust claim that they filed initially with the Southern Poverty Law Center, our good old friends down there in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they added racketeering charges, and, you know, it stuck in the Supreme Court. It's the first trip up there. We had won below, and suddenly we lost nine to nothing. Boy, that was a tough, tough time. Everybody would have folded their tents, I think, if they were wise and uh, listened to the experts. Uh, Everybody said to Joe, you're toast, you know, give up. I mean, you know, find a way to save your property, whatever. Um, So we went back down, and I call it the pilgrimage through the valley of the shadow of death. For the next five years, we had a new appointed judge. Uh, he was, you know, not as hostile as the Reagan-appointed judge we had at first, but he was no friend, of course. So my goodness, he put us through the uh, motions. And then we had this long trial, and you talk about Patricia Ireland and the microphone. Uh, strange how adversity sometimes leads to success. We walked in the federal courthouse the first day of the trial, and by gosh, uh, my spirits lifted. Why? I've never seen so many news media. And the opposition, as you know, you know, commands their clack of uh, journalistic supporters. And oh, they were all out. Uh, how they were going to, uh, you know, incinerate the pro-life movement and bring out uh, the truth. Oh, how much we were terrorists and all this kind of stuff. And it was all as phony as a three-dollar bill. But. It brought attention to the case, and you know that's what Joe thrived in. He, he was an organizer. He was an inspirer. He was he, the
1: anti-Alinsky organizer. The 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 yes. alter. Nothing like Saul Alinsky. The opposite. Yeah, organizing for good and not for destruction. Yeah, you know. Tom, as you're telling yeah. this, I, I'm. A, I'm re, this is a story we've told before, so I apologize to the audience if this is a. But this, I can still see Joe sitting across the table from me on radio, telling me about his years as a Benedictine monk before he took his vow, and how <laughs> he told me how hard it was. He was going to have to take a vow of poverty, and he said, um, "But I always kept a nickel in my. I he had a little pocket in his whatever it was he wore, his smock, his frock. Mm-hmm. I don't know." Uh, he had Whatever. a nickel, and he said, I could never, I quite, I couldn't give that nickel up. But the the thing that I remember is that actually he was living, you know, on a farm. He had nothing but that nickel. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the kind of man he was. He married Ann, who was the same way. He was willing to lay it on the line because right. he believed so passionately in the sanctity of human life. Um,
6: well, Tom, did, did he ever? And my gosh, you know, his whole thrust was activism. It's not enough to you know, uh, have the right ideas in your head. You've got to get out there and beat the drums. Yeah. Other people's lives are at stake, not only the babies, but the parents of those babies, and gosh almighty, the billion figure that you, uh, you know, he, he referred to in the in the video, I mean, that's multiplied by all the people who were complicit and in, involved in that, uh, many of whom have converted and come over to our side. mm mm-hmm. And yet, uh, you know, this Holocaust goes on.
1: Yeah. I think of uh, also, uh, Tom, of how you know Joe like I knew. Well, you knew him better than I did. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Joe is this commanding presence. He was just, talk about, the, the, uh, we in the business, we call it the Q factor. He had an enormous mm-hmm. Q factor because he took the room. Uh, his voice was, I mean, you heard at the clip on that,
6: uh, at the top of
1: the show, he was 93 sure. years old. Yeah, so um but he was a commanding presence and yet the most loving, kind, tender man. And uh, uh you know, out there counseling himself at abortion clinics trying to I remember him telling me in the later years about moments when he would feel like he'd persuaded someone to save their baby and how thrilled he was. <laughs> I um he was hands on with this. Well, all right. So what what is the uh, what do you think then about this uh video? Uh, When you saw it, did you feel it did the whole story justice?
6: Well, it's a drop in the bucket. Uh, You know, Ann's been after me to uh, go off in a corner with all the papers (laughs) that we generated in 28 years. I say that, it's kind of hard to believe it even now. But uh, writing up the deeds. so many highlights in the case. uh, And, you know, this gives a taste, uh, a little taste of it. And when you do step back and I just scratched my head. I, I said on that tape, inconceivable. <laughs> it really was. I, you know, we lived through, when I look back at my professional life and, you know, it's still going on, not quite as aggressively as when I was younger, but, uh, my gosh, I, I think of how old my kids were uh, were they were in high school or they were in grade school. And this or that happened in the case. We kind of, all those events are kind of landmarks uh, in what nearly three decades, and I, I, I look back on it. Who could believe that we would, the Supreme Court would take it, uh, even one time This is amazing, you know, once in a lifetime. But my gosh, we we kept having to go back, <laughs> and and they entertained our appeals, and and uh, so you know after we lost the trial, I mean then we eventually made it up there, and that was a day of uh, a miraculous day when we heard that they were going to take the case, because uh, we'd been clobbered, uh, even though we had public attention. And You know, at the trial, we put abortion on trial. We had uh, Norma McCarvey came and testified, uh Jane Ro- Roe v. Wade. Uh, they tried to keep her off the stand. They failed. We had Sandra Kano, the lady, the companion case to Roe v. Wade. Go versus Bolton, which was, you know, you can get, an, uh, if it affects your health, which they defined meaninglessly, so you can get an abortion all the way up to the moments before birth. Oh, my goodness. Right. She came and testified. Both of them said they never wanted abortion. <laughs>
1: yeah, that. <laughs> Henry Hyde, is...
6: Jack Wilkie, all these oh, great, wives, great uh, he- uh, witnesses. Wow. Yeah.
1: But yeah, they lost.
6: Well, just... so, thank God the Supreme Court took the appeal.
1: Yes, and I have to say, Tom, uh, you've said it, but not without saying it. Joe could never have done this without you. And you had uh, a bright future as a young lawyer, uh, and you ended up, you know, as dedicated to this as Joe was. And I'm certain that you did not become a rich man defending Joe Scheidler. I'm sure about that. Um, and, and you, and out of this, of course, came the surprise of Thomas More Society, which I don't think, as I recall you telling me before, you did not have that in mind early in your life. And so uh, give us an idea before you and I have to say goodbye. You guys have defended David Dal What other c- high-profile yeah. cases would people recognize that you guys are doing?
6: Well, Abby Johnson, you know, who, the subject uh, who's on the video is kind of a mystery ceremony, so you know, and we came over to our side They made a great movie about her, you know. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, our co dependent uh, Randall Terry in Operation Rescue, that uh, Joe inspired him. Uh, you know, and Jay Sekulow represented him. So, you know, I had a lot of a lot of allies and helpers. And, uh, yeah. you know, well, it's I, been a
1: wild. It's been yeah. a wild ride, and I, I would imagine I don't have time for your answer, but I'm guessing, knowing you, that you wouldn't change it. That it was uh, oh, just uh, no. made life rich and full and meaningful. You didn't take the easy path, Tom. Uh, but let me just say Thank that you, this man. is a premiering uh, this uh, on March the 22nd. It's fighting for life. The story of Now versus Scheidler. It's uh, premiering on EWTN March 22nd. So. Uh, Tom Brecka, thank you so much. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.